The rest of you, if you want to grab a Bible or your Bible app or wherever you find yourself gathering the Word of God, flip to the very small book that's easy to flip past, which is Jonah. Only a couple of pages in my Bible. Luckily, I had it marked, so don't, don't be impressed that I got there so fast. You're not even looking at me anyway, so it doesn't matter. So we're in Jonah, in case you were wondering. <clears throat> Jonah this is our third week, so we did a sort of an overview, and then we hit a little bit of the nuances of chapter one last week, and you're going to find over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to hit a chapter each week. So today's chapter two, next week will be chapter three, and then we have Nick, our resident Navy chaplain, who's going to be preaching for the first time for us um, through Jonah chapter 4, um, and then we're going to switch gears. Believe it or not, after this, this series is over, we'll have a, a short six-week series, which will take us into Advent, which will be a six-week series into Christmas. Yeah, so if you, if you weren't aware, October is next week, and time is moving quickly, so... Um, <clears throat> One of the things that uh, I would encourage you to do, if you if you haven't been with us through the first couple of chapters, if you want to go back and give it a listen, it, it will help provide a little bit of context of what's happening. I'll work to give you some context as well with a few reminders, but uh, what I want to do is just read the, the text that we're going to be out of today, and then pray and we'll continue with the service. So if you look at Jonah, we're going to read chapter 2. We're going to read all of chapter 2 of Jonah and... This is what it says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. And I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Father, we thank you again for this morning, and we pause to ask for your help. We, we praise you, Lord, that you've been able to um, sustain the service this far, and, and really... Um, Thank you for allowing us to worship together and to raise our voices. What a privilege it is to, to sing praises to the one who's worthy of all that we have to give. And I pray you'd still our hearts now again as we look to the word of God. And Father, just lead us, lead me this morning as I deliver truth, Lord God, and that truth would remain and anything else falls away. And God, be blessed in this place this morning. We thank you so much for your presence and your help this morning. We ask all these things through Christ. Amen. Okay, my friends, if you have questions this morning about the text or something that you hear me say or not say, that number on the screen, you can text your questions to that number, and we will answer and address those questions at the end of the service. So uh, that number will flash up periodically 
uh, between uh, the sermon notes here along the way, but just it's a great way for you to interact, and we'd love for you to do that. So let me give you a few reminders, sort of catch-ups, if you haven't been with us, of where, where we're going today. So Jonah was a prophet of God, right? Prophet who, would, who is, is someone who would speak on behalf of God to other people. Generally, the prophet of God is speaking to people who are maybe not doing the things that they ought to be doing, people who are not living right according to God. And so God would send the prophet to address some issues that are going on. And Jonah was sent with a message to the people of where? Nineveh. Nineveh, okay. That was man, resounding. I love it. In an attempt to get them to turn from their evil ways and to serve God. That was the message that God gave to Jonah. Problem was, these people were enemies of Israel. And Israel, I should say Jonah, as, as God's representative, wasn't thrilled about that, was he? Because he knew what? What did he know about God? That he would forgive them, and he didn't want that to happen. So he goes, you know what? I'm going the other way. I'm going to run from God. And I won't warn these people. I'd argue that Jonah actually acts quite selfishly in this moment. Because if you remember, he's on the ship, and everybody asks him, what must we do to, to get this storm to cease? And he says what? Throw me overboard. Well, if you fast forward, if you looked through the rest of the book, you know that twice Jonah wishes that he was dead. Just kill me, Lord. That's what he says. So I think this is an act of selfishness because he gets thrown over the ship in the middle of the ocean. What's going to happen to him? So I don't think he's being noble here. I don't think he's taking you know, the higher ground. I think he's being selfish. Clearly, he's in a bad place and has no intention of listening to God whatsoever. Let me ask you a question real quick. Whether, whether you have children or not, you have children in your life. If your child or somebody you're responsible did something wrong to another child and you go and tell them to apologize, what do you expect that child to do? Come on, this is not a trick question. Go over and apologize. Why? Well, two reasons. One, it's the right thing to do. And two, you told him to do it. <laughs> Didn't you hate that when you were growing up? Like, why? Because I told you so. I don't mean it in that regard. I just mean you're the authority figure in their life. You told them to do something. They ought to do it. And let's just say they don't go over. They don't apologize. And then they lie and say that they did. What does the future hold for that little child? I mean, let's put it in context of a D word that none of us really like. Okay, discipline, right. Discipline indeed. Why? Because as parents, we enjoy disciplining our kids, right? <laughs> Some of us, maybe, a little bit. No! <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> we don't enjoy it, right? But because if we do nothing, then we fail as parents to raise up children in a good and godly way, not to mention setting up them for a very rough road ahead who is, who is an adult that doesn't understand or take correction well. That's a big part of our text today. And as you read through this, you're like, how do you get like discipline out of this? Where are you going with this? This is an interesting story, isn't it, Jonah? When you start to peel back the layers, you think, oh, this is not just like some cool kid's tale. So far, we've seen one of God's chosen people rebel against him and run the other way. We see this ship full of people nearly sink and just go under the water. We see a group of non-Jewish people 
serving and worshiping God and throwing a man overboard. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's a spectacle is what it is. If you're watching this take place, you're like, what is going on right now? And now we've got this giant fish that comes up and swallows Jonah where he remains for three days and three nights. It's crazy. That's why a lot of people dismiss this as just an allegory or some weird story to make a point. I don't think it's a weird story at all. I'm confident, and so is Jesus, that this actually happened because he references it. But let me just do a few things before we jump into chapter 2. Coming out of chapter 1, verse 17, if we put that up, we see a couple of things. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now let me just say, there have been countless hours devoted by well-meaning people to figure out just what kind of fish this was. How big was it? What was the real capacity in there? Is it possible for any fish that is out there today to hold a human being for three days? And then just go through the laundry list of things of trying to figure out what that fish was. What are the first couple of words there? And the Lord appointed a great fish. Do you think it's possible that the God of all creation appointed, made a fish for this specific scenario to swallow up Jonah that would contain him for three days and three nights just to prove a point to Jonah and to us? Do you think that's possible? Okay. Does he tell us what kind of fish it is? Do we need to spend a lot of time trying to figure it out? If he wanted us to know, it would be in the text. And the reason I make that point is because so many times we try to read into the text and add all kinds of things that aren't there. And we end up just kind of spinning our wheels because we're never going to know. Maybe when we get to the other side and we can talk to Jonah like, hey, dude, what did it look like in there? What kind of fish do you think it was? But until that point, let's not get wrapped around the axle in trying to figure out some of these details along the way. God appointed a fish. Cool. Awesome, God. I'm glad that you did that. But also in verse 17, he said, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So this was actually a very common phrase. When this was written thousands of years ago, not only in biblical literature, and if you want an example, you can look at Hosea, H-O-S-E-A, Hosea 6, 1 and 2. That's just one example of where we have this language. But also in the culture at the time. This idea of three days and three nights was symbolic or representative of a journey either to or from a place called Sheol, which is where you go after you die, essentially. And we're not going to get into it, right? The place of the dead. And so an expedition like Jonah's is meant to help the reader or even persuade the reader that this should be understood also as a journey from death back to life. Because if it weren't for this fish, we already discovered Jonah's end state. He would have drowned. So yes, he was very near death. So there is an aspect of salvation built into this story based on the language. And so hopefully that makes sense. And of course, there are a lot of parallels to Jesus as well, right? Three days, three nights, just that whole thing. And as much as Mike would love for me to go into that, I'm not going to. Yes. If you want to know more about it, Mike will talk your ear off like for days about it. There's lots to go in there. It is pertinent 
but there's other things that we need to get to. So if you're curious, man, I'd encourage you just to go look every place in the Bible where it says three days and three nights. And then go look and see that Jesus actually referenced this time of Jonah and this event. But let's move on. I think we're all on the same page here. It's very apparent that Jonah is way off course. And as a result, God has him in this predicament, if you want to call it that, to get his attention and to bring some correction in the form of discipline. Now, this chapter is essentially a prayer. Seemed very poetic, didn't it? We're going to see, through Jonah's example, what it takes for us to get back on track toward God. So, did you put up the slide with the, the little bill points on it? All right, so getting back on track, number one. <clears throat> we go to God in prayer. So let's look at verses one and two again. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, and then he goes on. So here in chapter two, as I mentioned, the whole thing is essentially a prayer. But what is the very first thing that he's doing? It's praying. The first step that we see in getting back on track and following after God is prayer. Because up until this point, has Jonah prayed at all? No. In fact, after verse 2 of the very first chapter, Jonah has yet to interact with God again. Even through that whole ship fiasco thing, he's not interacted with God once. We see other people going to the Lord and praying and walking in obedience, but not Jonah, not the man of God. He's not doing it. So, what change brought about this sudden desire to pray? What do you think? He's in the belly of a fish, right? He's desperate. As one scholar put it, Jonah cried out to God because he was in danger, not because he delighted in the Lord. In other words, his prayer was born out of affliction and not affection. How quickly we change our tune sometimes. Nope. I, I know I do. <laughs> was Jonah happy at all with the will of God shown to him in chapter 1? No. Yet now he's very open to what the Lord's will is asking of him. Why? Because at this point, it's his only way out. He realizes, <laughs> I got I to gotta follow the Lord's leading. Otherwise, this is it. I'm done. Now, some would argue that it's better to go to the Lord in times of trouble, even trouble that we cause through our rebellion, than to not go to God at all. And I would agree with that. Absolutely. But we should avoid, I think, following Jonah's lead and seeing God's will as something to just sort of grab onto in a crisis, as opposed to something we pursue day in and day out. How do we view God's will? Is it when we get to that point of being way off the path, we're like, all right, Lord, I got no other choice, I'm holding on. Or is it something that every day we just try to pursue? What is it that you want of me? How can I better follow you? And it's just a day-by-day -day kind of pursuit. You know, prayer is such a strange thing to me, though. <clears throat> it's so simple, yet so many of us struggle to pray regularly. And don't worry, this isn't going to be some plea for you to, to pray, uh, ramp up your prayer life, so to speak. But I will take it as an opportunity to remind us all that prayer is the lifeblood of your relationship with God. 
It's how you build your relationship with God. Now, is it important to know who God is, know his character, know what he does in terms of reading about God in the Bible? Yes, because it builds our faith, it builds our confidence in who he is because we have these stories of his faithfulness, his mercy, his justice. And so we read about it and we learn and we gain that information. But if all we ever do is read about God, not actually spending time with him, then the depth of our relationship is limited. We can only know so much about a person by reading about them. You can tell me, oh, I know all about John Lennon. Let's do something that's a lie. Paul McCartney. I know all about him. I know everything about him. Really? Have you ever met him? No. You you don't know all about him. In fact, you probably know very little about him as a human being because you never interacted with him. There's no relationship there. It's all here. The same thing is true with God. If you truly desire to know God and build your relationship with him, prayer is the way. Do you think maybe, maybe, if Jonah had spent more time alone with God prior to this experience, his heart would have received the news about going to Nineveh differently? Now that's me reading into the text, like I just told us we don't have to always do. But I think it's helpful sometimes to put yourself in the position of the person that we're reading about, taking the context of the story into account, and how different actions and behaviors may have produced a different result. That's part of the reason we have these stories in the Bible, is to look and go, oh, look what that person did. I probably shouldn't do that. What if they did that instead? Or you find yourself in a similar situation. You go, well, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I should do this instead. Prayer, my friends, man, it is paramount. Paramount (laughs) at the top in our lives as followers of Jesus. And when you find yourself off course and you desire to get back on track, we start with prayer. Okay, the next one. That's it. We acknowledge and accept his discipline. So let's just think for a minute. Jonah is in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. This is God getting his attention for his rebellion. This is discipline. This is God responding to Jonah's poor choice. So let's look at verse 3. I know you're going to have to back out and go to verse 3 and then go back into this. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Now I want you to notice something here. Actually, let me just back up a little bit. Does anybody here like being disciplined? Anybody enjoy the process? Right? None of us like, we don't even like the idea of having to discipline other people. We don't like being corrected. We don't. But let me ask you this. What is the goal of discipline? What is it? Growth? Make you a better person? I'm looking for, yes, and those are right answers. Correction. If we're, if we're like subbing all these things up that we've been talking about, I would say one word is correction. The purpose of discipline is correction. Now, let's make a distinction in our mind here. In the realm of discipline, is there a difference between punishment and correction? Yes. yes. Can you correct someone who's been disobedient 
without including in that correction some kind of punishment. Yes, you absolutely can. The challenge is, you and I, we're broken, sinful, rebellious people that often need to feel the weight of our sin necessary to live out the correction. And how do we feel the weight of our sin? It's by facing the consequences for our behavior, consequences in the form of punishment. We understand this, right? We have to know and understand that godly discipline is always for our good that has love and a desire for us to mature at its core. That's what godly discipline is. In fact, God tells us that one of the ways that we know we are his is through this very act of correction. Put up Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, if you would, please. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Now, God uses some pretty severe disciplinary measures to save Jonah. But he saves him from his external circumstances, right? He's drowning in the open sea. So he saves him from external circumstances. But it's also important to note that he's saving him from his rebellion against God. And Jonah, he acknowledges and he accepts God's disciplinary action. Can you go back to verse 3 again? Look at the language. Who does he say cast him into the deep? You. Didn't the, the sailors on the ship cast him over the, overboard? But now he's saying, no, you, God, you are the one that cast me into the deep. All your waves and your billows passed over me. This is Jonah acknowledging, God, I see what you're doing here. You're bringing correction to my life. This is your doing. Yeah, you use other people, but you did this. We have to acknowledge and accept the discipline of the Lord in our lives. Because, my friends, how we respond to discipline determines its effectiveness how many of you, let's get a real good showing of hands this time. How many of you had to relearn the lesson over and over again before you moved on? Come on, get your hands in the air. Every one of you, get your hand in the air. Unless you're perfect, your hands should be in the All of us, some of us have to learn the hard way. We want to just do it right the first time, but we have to learn the hard way. It's just something about our makeup that makes us do that. But how we respond to discipline in the real world and the Lord's discipline determines its effectiveness. At the end of the day, God's desire for us is to share in his righteousness and to bear what he calls the fruitful peace of righteousness and holiness. Let me just briefly read Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 to kind of solidify this in our hearts. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment of discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We don't like it, friends. But it's necessary in our lives as we're following after the Lord. And as we get off track through our rebellion, through our choices, through whatever circumstances and means we find ourselves away from God, one of the steps in getting back on track is acknowledging and accepting His discipline. Knowing that it's for our maturity in Christ and our overall good. So we go to prayer and then we acknowledge and accept God's discipline. And the third way is that we trust in His promises. We trust in God's promises. If you spent any time in the Psalms at all, which hopefully you have, you probably get a sense that Jonah shares in the kind of feelings of the psalmist. There's like this sort of desperation of like, I'm drowning, and this very dramatic, like the roots of the mountains and the you know seaweed is around my head. It's like this whole picture that he's drawing here. He's in trouble. He's crying out to the Lord. I wonder how many of us have made similar cries to the Lord in times of desperation. I know I have. Just, yeah, I'm in trouble, Lord. Yeah, it's my fault, and I'm in trouble, but I'm crying out to you. But it's the bookends of this passage that where we need to focus. He says in verse 4 that he will again look upon God's holy temple. And then in verse 7, it says, His prayer came to the Lord where? In your holy temple. So we've got this holy temple at the front, this holy temple at the back. So what exactly is this about? What's going on here? We're thinking about the promises of God, like how does this equate? Let's take a brief look to 1 Kings, and we'll turn there in a second. But King Solomon was the one who built the temple. Right? And what was the temple, what was its primary purpose? To house what? The presence of the Lord, right? That's, that's where the holy presence of the Lord remained. It was the central area on earth where the presence of the Lord remained. It was the center for all things in Israel, for all God's people. And so, let's look at 1 Kings 8 and see how this ties together. 1 Kings 8, 30 through, 38 through 40, rather. <clears throat> whatever you pray, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing the affliction of his, or his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each those whose heart you know, according to all his ways, for you, you only, know the hearts of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they may live in the land that you gave our Father. So this is Solomon's plea to God as he's establishing the temple, going, Lord, if anybody makes a prayer to you, makes a plea to you, whoever they are, as long as they're your people and they're calling out to you in this holy place, will you hear them? Will you respond to them? Will you forgive them and act on their behalf? That's what Solomon is asking. It's a very special and unique blessing he's asking upon the temple. 
And so does, does God agree, do you think? Let's find out. 1 Kings 9, 1 through 3. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So yes, God agrees. I hear your plea. And so Jonah remembers the promise of the Lord. That if I cry out to you, Lord, you told Solomon that your temple and your presence, there you would hear and respond and forgive and move. And so he takes God at his word. And he trusts God for his help. Now that is weird to us because we're like, that happened thousands of years ago, and now the presence of the Lord is in all of us. But Jonah remembered that promise was for him. And in that moment of desperation, he was clinging to that promise like his life depended on it. Why? Because it depended on it. But you and I have similar promises from God that we can cling to in times of desperation that talk about God's faithfulness to us. And let's just... Let's just talk about that real quick. What are some promises that we have from God that we can cling to in times of desperation and hopelessness? Healing. What's that? Healing. We have healing from God. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. What else comes to mind? Anything? He'll hear us. He'll hear our cries. He forgives us. Right? Sometimes we think, Lord, I'm... I've gone too far. I can't recover from this. That's wrong. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. That's from Deuteronomy 31.8. Nothing, he says, can pluck us out of his hand. John 10.28-30. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. 2 Timothy 4.18. He'll forgive us. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, these are promises of God that we can cling to. And as we wander from the Lord and get off track, which we all do, remember those promises of the Lord and lean on them as you orient your heart back to Him. Trust that He hears your prayers and will bring you back onto the proper path. So we go to prayer immediately. We accept and we acknowledge the discipline of God. We trust in his promises. And then the final one, we yield to his will. Verses 8 through 10. Let's look at those verses. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. So before we get to the yielding to God's will part, we have this part in, the, in, the, in verse 8, which shows just a little bit more of Jonah's character flaws. Because despite being in the belly of the whale for his rebellion against God, he's calling out people 
for idolizing vain idols. It's like, really, Jonah? Like that, That's what you want to bring up right now is you're being disciplined and you're going through this. You want to call out people because they're idolizing vain idols? It's actually a callback to Psalm 31.6, which is pretty clear to us. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. So Jonah's like, man, look at me. I'm a man of the Lord. I'm praying to God. Well, look where you are, dude. Like, <laughs> this is your fault. <laughs> you're here because of, and now you're like trying to deflect. Okay. Okay, buddy. Whatever. Nevertheless, we do see Jonah yield to the Lord in verse 9, although there's no specific mention to his willingness to carry out the will of God and go to Nineveh, deliver the message that he was originally instructed to give, we can infer that that takes place. Mainly because at the beginning of the very next chapter, it begins with Jonah's obedience to the will of God and going to Nineveh. So there's this acceptance and yielding to the will of God and the fish vomits Jonah onto the dry land and off he goes. And so another step in getting back on track and following after God is to yield to his will. As we discovered last week, man, following the Lord's will and plan for our lives can be difficult. It's challenging. Rarely does the Lord ask us to do very easy things. <laughs> Because he's challenging us to grow and mature in our faith. And that takes effort. And it's painful at times. And we will stray from the path. And there's tons of scriptures that remind us our hearts are prone to wander. They're black. They're darkened. Like we're selfish people. There's a myriad of reasons why we get off track. And that's not the point of this message. The point of this message is when you find yourself off, off course... In rebellion to God and going the other way, he gives us tangible things that we need to begin to employ in our lives. We go to God in prayer. We acknowledge and accept whatever discipline he brings us, if that's the case. Maybe in his grace and goodness, he doesn't bring discipline. He just opens our eyes and we can move forward. But in that case, we should acknowledge his grace and mercy for not having to bring us into the belly of the whale, so to speak. We trust in his promises in those desperate situations where we don't see a way out. It's like, God, I don't know how this is going to end. And Jonah must have had that thought at some point. I'm in this fish. How is this going to end? I don't see it. And then he remembers, wait a minute. I've got a promise. I can stand on that promise. And God will see me through that. You know, as you look through the New Testament... When people are facing issues, particularly Paul, his prayer is never to remove him from the obstacle, situation, or circumstance. Right? Yeah. It's always helped me to go through it. Because he knew that that circumstance, that situation was for his good, for his maturity, for his growth. Of course, my prayer is that we'd all stay on track. And we follow God with faithful obedience all the days of our lives. Amen and amen. And we'd be fools to think that, that would be the case. Now that's not to say we're not going to grow and mature and stay on the path for longer periods of time between those little meanderings. 
But for those times when we do find ourselves off track, we've got some steps that we can take in helping us find our way back. And if you're like, I'm not off track right now, so this doesn't apply to me, <clears throat> praise the Lord. I would say, though, there are, there are a couple things that apply to you regardless of whether you're on track or off track. And I would double down on that first step, going to God in prayer. Because as I alluded to earlier, perhaps if Jonah had been more connected with God and trusting in him in incredible ways, he may not have found himself in this place to begin with. Now, I'm not saying that's the case, but I am saying we have a much greater chance of staying on course and following after God if we are persistently and consistently going to him in prayer, hearing his voice, hearing his direction, going to him for information about decisions that we ought to make. When we come to a fork in the road or relationship status, so, so wherever you are today, my encouragement to you is to commit to some tangible step of growing in your prayer life. You don't have to say it out loud, but I strongly encourage you, if you're, if you're not a writer-downer person or a note-taker or you just got a great memory, say it to the Lord. Whatever it is, I'm going to spend Five more minutes every day in prayer for the next seven days. When I get here next Sunday, I can stand before the Lord and say, yes, I did that. Because we let ourselves off the hook too often. We have all these great lofty ideas about how we want to grow. And then we hit the ground on Monday morning and our boss is yelling at us. Our kids are crying. Everything is just crazy because the world is a mess around us. And we lose sight very quickly of what we've committed to doing. So that's why... We write things down and we hold ourselves to account. That's the only way that we grow. We don't grow by good ideas. We just don't. And if you want to take it a step further, I would encourage you to share that with somebody that you know and trust and say, would you hold me account to this? Will you ask me next week how I did with this? Did you do what you said you would do? And if you don't, it's not a condemnation thing. Like, oh, how dare you? Where God's going to like dis, <laughs> disown you. Not, not in any way, shape, or form. But I'm telling you, my friends, if you really want to grow in your faith, this is a very, very tangible way to do it. Start in your prayer life and start by saying something right now. Maybe you're not praying every day. Lord, I want to pray every day for five minutes. For two minutes. For one minute. It does, don't set yourself up for failure. Now that's the other thing, right? I'm going to pray for an hour every day. <laughs> Be realistic in what you're doing. Yeah, I hope that makes sense, guys. And I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to continue the service. But that's just my heart right now is we need to be obedient. Amen. And left to our own devices and our own journeys, we kind of fail in that more than we succeed. So let's, let's, let's bring some accountability into the mix. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for the fact that you love us so much, God, that you you want us to grow. You want us to mature. You want us to be presented fully mature in you, Christ. And sometimes, God, we miss it. 
and we mess up and we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that are less than ideal, to put it politely. And Lord, you don't leave us there. In fact, we see in the text today, you actually give us tangible steps to move away from that situation. So I pray, God, that if if there's anyone here, or we know of anybody who's just wandering and far off the path of following after you, God, that, that there's a prayer increase. God, that there's a desire to see, is the Lord really trying to teach me something? And what is it? And let me acknowledge it and accept it. Let me cling to the promises that God has given me. Let me truly follow after him and yield to his will. And for each of us here, Lord, today, I ask that you would help every one of us to grow in ways that are measurable. Because it's encouraging, Lord. It's encouraging to to even kind of track our own progress. Not that we are somehow providing the growth, Lord. We just are walking in obedience. You you do the heavy lifting of of maturing and growing. But we got to step up. Put one foot in front of the other with intentionality and purpose. Help us to do that, Lord. I thank you for this gathering of believers here this morning. I'm so grateful for all of them. So grateful that you call us to, to worship together in spirit and in truth. And God, as we prepare to raise our voices one more time and in reflection of who you are, Christ, the fact that you are broken for us, the fact that you shed your blood for us, that we have redemption through you and through you alone, Christ. As we prepare for communion, Lord God, just give our, give our hearts and our eyes to you, Lord. We do it. And we thank you so much for meeting us where we are.